You are now listening to In Conversation with Mr. O, the podcast dedicated to machinery and equipment maintenance, reliability, and operations. It is presented by MRO Magazine, Canada's industry voice for maintenance and asset managers since 1985. I'm your host, Mario Suwinski, editor of MRO Magazine. Today, we are continuing our conversation with maintenance and reliability expert, James Reyes-Picknell. Part one focused on everything to do with maintenance. In part two, we focus in reliability. How important do you see reliability being to companies' goals and the bottom line? Hugely important, um, particularly if you're heavily dependent on physical assets to produce um, your product or deliver your services. The uh, tendency is away from having a lot of people towards having a lot of machines, robots, artificial intelligence, and all this stuff included. Y- you know, if you look at uh, banking, for example, y- you know, when uh, early in my career, uh, you went into a bank, you talked to a teller. Uh, today, doesn't matter what time of day it is, you can probably drive up to a machine and, and do most of your banking with the machine. So, so that machine is effectively a little robot. Uh, yeah. If you think about it, so so it's replaced a lot of bank tellers. Um, uh, in, in in a production environment, uh, you see a lot of um, uh, most of the production is done by machines. Most of it is controlled with uh, control systems uh, that that um, ultimately position actuators of one form or another uh, to produce a product that meets certain exacting standards. Um, if it's not working, anything in that is not working properly, then you produce bad product, um, uh, wrong product. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you, you, you run up the costs. Uh, you may, if it stops working altogether, stop producing altogether. Well, if you, yeah, if you have a production line, if there's one thing not working, the whole line stops. Well, right? exactly. And, and, and that's the same even in, in, um, in, in pretty much any industry. Production lines, uh, mining, hey, a crusher fails. Most of your, if not all your production, goes through that one machine yeah. and, uh, and you're now down. And you can't regain that time that it's down. So, so reliability, in my opinion, um, remains incredibly important. Um, the, the aircraft industry, of course, learned about this and, and, and they developed RCM as a way to make sure that reliability uh, could be a, a, attained and sustained. Mm-hmm. Uh, other industries picked up on it. Nuclear power is one. Um, uh, the militaries, I, I know I worked a lot on military projects, uh, they've certainly picked up on that. They want their systems to work, yeah. um, simple as that. Uh, in, in industry, um, you know, there's, there's um, not an, as much knowledge of reliability. And uh, I, I think as a result of that, the, the emphasis on it is, is perhaps understated uh, on, until something breaks. Yeah. And then it's, let's look at maintenance. And, and, and one of the issues I, I think is, and I've, I've suggested this at a couple of conferences recently, is, is, is we have maintenance departments. And, and, and I would argue that what we need is reliability departments. And, and maintenance really is just the, um, the, the group of people that executes the tasks to make sure that reliability is achieved. What you really want to focus on is that result, reliability. Yeah. With, with high reliability, you can produce more, you can produce longer. Uh, you can do it at lower operating cost because you have fewer breakdowns, so therefore fewer maintenance interventions that are, that are costly, uh, less parts in your storeroom. Um, if it's not breaking, it's going to be safe, right? Machines are designed to operate safely. Uh, if uh, they break down, they're now in an abnormal state, and that can raise the risks, particularly to the maintainers and the operators around the time of a failure occurring. Yeah. 
Um, and, and when you look at, 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 at safety statistics, you'll see it's operators, maintainers are, are, are the ones that are always getting hurt. Mostly maintainers, actually. Right. And, and they're dealing with stuff in that abnormal state. Um, and, and, and I think that that's what increases the risks and, and uh, uh, puts them in, in harm's way, so to speak. Environmental performance is another area that's, that's, that people are very sensitive to. If you're in an industry that's handling toxic materials or something that, that pollutes, you've got to contain it or control its emission. And, and, yeah, uh, if you have a leak, then you have a big problem. Well, exactly. And, 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 and a leak is nothing more than a failure to contain. Uh, uh, excessive emissions is a failure to control, mm -hmm. if you think about it. And, yeah. and, and, and all your environmental problems really come from that, unless you've actually designed them right into your process, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, let's assume you haven't designed in those types of events. Uh, you've actually designed systems to avoid them, you know, emission control systems, you've got containment, you've got secondary containment. Uh, all of these things are meant to, to um, avoid having those, those incidents occur. Um, but you've got to maintain that stuff. And it has to be reliable. And, and a lot of it, particularly containment, is static. It's not actively doing something, so it's easy to kind of forget it and take it for granted. Right, and, and um, the mining industry struggles a lot with tailing stands, for example, and uh, uh, you, you know, why does something fail? Bad design, bad operation, bad maintenance, that's it. All three of those go back to uh, probably insufficient investment in either design, maintenance, or, or operating skills and practices. Um, and uh, you know, I see what happened in, in Brazil recently with, uh, I think it's close to 15 people are being charged with manslaughter as a result yeah. of a, a, a tailings dam collapse. Uh, and, and among those 15 is the former CEO of the company. And it is one of the world's largest mining companies. Yeah. So, so they're not immune to this anymore. Yeah. Um, and and I, I see reliability as, as being absolutely essential to, to business uh, for profitability, safety, environmental performance. Uh, and it actually makes for a better working environment, um, you, you know, simple as that. So, so to me, it's, it is the one thing you want to get uh, a handle on. Now, you briefly touched on this, but what do you see are some of the main reasons why companies have a hard time achieving reliability and how can that be fixed? Uh, well, a big reason is they don't focus on it. Um, they, they, again, the, 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 the perception is maintenance is there to fix things. Maintenance is, a, is treated as an expense by accountants right now. And a lot of companies are run with a very close eye on finances and costs. And uh, accountants don't know anything about maintenance, to be quite honest. Uh, they see it, it is just an expense. It's a, it's a cost on, on the income statement. And, and because it's on the wrong side of the, the balance sheet, uh, it, it, it has to be minimized. And, and uh, how do you minimize maintenance? Well, don't do it. That's one solution. Uh, don't in, if, if you've got problems, certainly don't invest anything extra in fixing them, particularly if that's been tried and failed. And, and, and I think that's happened a lot. You know, the main, maintenance people are, I find as a rule, really, really dedicated to doing things well. Um, I, I have yet to meet any that I would call irresponsible and careless and, 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 and not concerned about the results of of what happens when a failure occurs. Um, and they may well have tried, like we've improved our planning, we've tried our RCM, we've tried our root cause analysis mm. and all this stuff. And, and it's had limited success um, for all the reasons I talked about earlier. Uh, as, as a result of that, um, they, they, um, 
that, that lack of success is seen by the company as, as meaning that, well, they, we can't do anything about it anyways. Whether they do that consciously or subconsciously, I don't know, but they're, they're very, very reluctant to invest in it. And, and the maintenance people who have tried and failed uh, are, are a bit embarrassed about that and, and may not want to admit that they may not know the answers and, and, and consequently they, they don't go looking for help. So that, that, that combination of negatives kind of holds companies back. Uh, I, I think that's a big thing. Uh, lack of knowledge of reliability. Um, you say it's not taught, uh, certainly not at the bachelor's level. So even engineers that are graduates have not been exposed to reliability. Uh, they might have worked in design, they might have gone into a process industry, they work in, in operations or, or maintenance, um, but the word reliability probably doesn't hit them until they're involved somehow in a producing environment where things are breaking down a lot. And, and now there's a whole new subject they need to learn about. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's mathematically not that difficult, uh, but applying the, the statistics that they did learn to this field uh, does take a little bit of, of learning. And, uh, and, and, and so the, the engineers themselves are often not really fully aware of it. They, they may have heard of something like FMEA, uh, which is used in a, a design environment to design a product to uh, you know, keep it failure free uh, within reason. Um, FMEA is a part of an RCM analysis, but, it, but the RCM goes much further. It doesn't just stop at an FMEA and then come to a design conclusion. It, it goes beyond that and looks at what maintenance or operating tasks or procedures need to be used. And it even in some cases says, no, this makes sense to run it to failure. And, and, and those ki kinds of decisions are not part of a normal FMEA. So even the engineers that have been exposed to that don't really know how to use it to mm -hmm. its to, to leverage it uh, to its greatest extent. So, so I think that holds them back. Uh, and then, of course, companies that are focused on production, right? Uh, these days, mm -hmm. margins are tight for just about everybody. Yep. Uh, we can't afford extra, so, you know, and we need to produce more. Uh, if, if I'm the maintenance manager and I want this piece of plant down so I can do the regular servicing on it, uh, the operations guy is in all likelihood not going to give it to me until it breaks. And then it's going to be more downtime. And again, that's because of the lack of understanding. Uh, when, when I go into companies and, and talk to them about reliability, I, I explain how stuff fails to them. And I find the operations people are usually quite intrigued by the fact that, you know, that what they've been doing in the past has actually been causing a lot of their problems. And it's because they weren't listening to the maintenance people. Maintenance people often sit there and say, I, I told you so. But uh, then I look at the maintenance guys and say, yeah, but your lack of ability to comply to a schedule that you've promised them, you've, you've said, I need it for eight hours, I'll give it to, back to you. They've tried it. You've not given it back at eight hours. You've held onto it for 12, 16 or longer. Uh, they don't trust you anymore. Yeah. And, and that's a result of poor planning, poor, poor scheduling practices, maybe poor integration with supply chain. You didn't have everything you needed. So, so there's no one culprit here. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's a little bit of blame to be spread around everywhere, but that means the solution is also to be spread around everywhere. Sort of in that vein, how, how does reliability go beyond maintenance? Reliability uh, is, is what you're looking for. That's the result. Maintenance is the method that gets you there, uh, or one of the methods that gets you there. It's not the only method. So if you think of it um, in, in really esoteric terms, uh, reliability is the destination, maintenance is the journey or part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way I see it. You, you cannot have high reliability without the right maintenance being done the right way at the right time. 
Um, you also can't have it, though, if you're operating equipment beyond its design capabilities, right? If it's being overloaded, it's going to fail. And if the design itself is inadequate for what you want from it, uh, it too will fail. So, so there's those three areas of operations, design, and, and maintenance all have to combine to, to lead to reliability. But reliability ultimately is what you want because that delivers the uptime that enables you to produce whatever it is you're producing at high quality, at high speed, um, in, in the quantities you need to be profitable. Yeah. And, and reliable operations from the experience I've had with it are actually less expensive than, than unreliable operations. Now that might make sense to uh, on the surface, uh, but a lot of companies don't behave like they believe that. They, they, they tend to minimize the, the activities that are aimed at enhancing and improving and sustaining reliability and end up with uh, a breakdown then fix sort of scenario, uh, thinking they're saving money on all those reliability efforts, right? Like if you did a lot of PMs, a lot of predictive maintenance, you know, things yeah. wouldn't be breaking as often. It's very natural to question, well, why are we doing so all of this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> because you're not seeing it actually doing any good. The tr truth is you are seeing it do good, but what you're not seeing happen is the failures that cause maintenance to go into that panicked uh, repair mode that, that uh, used to happen before you did all that stuff. But, but there's a tendency to say, oh, this is everything, nothing's breaking yeah. down. What do we need all this maintenance for, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they're misunderstanding the, the role of maintenance. It's not to fix stuff when it's broken, although that's a piece of it. Yeah. it it's really to avoid having it break in the first place. Well, looking at it from something everybody has is an automobile. Right? Mm -hmm. If you if you you know change the oil, you make sure you do the maintenance regularly. It's going to be more reliable. It's going to last you a longer period, Absolutely. rather than you know you don't do anything to it and your engine goes kaput. Exactly. And then it's going to cost you either you need to get a new car or it's going to cost you a lot of money. Well, same, exactly. Same sort of thing with the machines, right? You know you do your regular lubrication and everything, and the machine will last longer rather than having downtime and yep I, I look at working fluids like lube oils hydraulics yeah. coolants things yeah. like that uh, they're, they're like the blood in your body yeah right you, you wouldn't it, I mean we don't want it to get all plugged up with cholesterol <laughs> uh, uh, you certainly wouldn't give a person a blood transfusion with blood that you knew was full of, of fat cells yeah, and yeah. cholesterol you just wouldn't do that um, so so why treat our machines uh, that way uh, a lot of people operate machines the way um, Penny on Big Bang Theory operates a car, right? With the little engine light on all the time. Uh, and they Put wait some until tape it, over it. Yeah, like, oh, that's annoying. Uh, and, and they just wait till it breaks down and then it's a big panic. Uh, and I, I see that all the time. Now, in fairness, you know, to those who are listening who might say, well, we don't do that. Not everybody does do it, yeah. all right? As, as a consultant who kind of specializes in this stuff, I tend to be asked into places that are doing things badly. <laughs> so so you, you, I see a lot of really bad cases. Uh, and then I see a lot of those improving, yeah. uh, which is the good thing. But uh, the guys that are doing really well, they don't ask for the help. <laughs> now, what would you say are some of your top tips to give to maintenance managers to improve their operations? KPIs uh, would be one. Um, Performance and, and process indicators tell you how you're doing. Now, focus those on the things you control. Forget about cost. The accountants will look after that. Well. Uh, you're, if, if something breaks, you're going to spend what you have to spend to fix it anyways. So, so cost really isn't going to be a controlling, something you're going to control. And you need to know that you're doing the right things. So look at the results and maybe output divided by cost or, or cost per unit output is, is, is perhaps a good 
overall indicator of whether you're having success or not. But the real KPIs to focus on are process metrics, um, the things that you control themselves, um, how much work is planned, how much work is scheduled, how, how much of that schedule do you comply to, how much of your work is proactive, is the proactive worth actually effective. You know, those are things that I think you need to be, be looking at. But another key in, in, in monitoring performance like that is to share those measures with other departments. Uh, I, I hear complaints all the time. We don't have parts. Uh, we can't get the parts we need when we rush order them. Operations won't give us the equipment when we need it to do the maintenance on it. And that's because operations is responsible for production, maintenance is responsible for availability, and supply chain is responsible for all the stuff and dollar value of it in the storeroom. If the stores guys were also responsible for equipment availability, they m and, and they had a bonus tied to it, they, they might actually be more inclined to spare the right things that help improve availability. But they'd have to collaborate mm. with maintenance to define what those are. Likewise, on the production side, uh, if, if maintenance and production both get bonused on the basis of, of production output, well, the maintenance guys want to do whatever it takes to increase that production output. But the production guys also have responsibility, say, for availability. So, so if they're breaking stuff, it's going to hit their bonus. Mm. So, so share those KPIs, I think, would be one, one uh, suggestion. Um, planners. If you got planners, first of all, if you don't, you need them. If you do, uh, focus them on future work. Uh, too many planners today are, are focused on uh, chasing parts for the panic du jour or whatever it was that failed last night. And they are not focused on future work and you'll never get into a proactive mode if, if they aren't. Um, so that would be another one. Get support for your planners. Um, th this whole planning supply chain integration is uh, problem is, is everywhere. I, I find there's very few companies that don't have a problem with it. Um, there's not a lot of sophistication in the supply chain world. Uh, they're, they're all running their, their storerooms as if they were Walmart. Now, if you think about it, Walmart's got a lot of fast-moving items uh, and, and, you know, very simple calculations, mins, max, order quantities, and all that. Mm. Um, that works well when you've got fast-moving inventory. Yeah. In maintenance, you don't. Um, there'll be a few things that move fast, but there'll be a lot of stuff that's actually very slow-moving, but highly important to keeping the assets available. So you can't manage it the same same way. Uh, your planners, un unfortunately, tend to get really tied up with parts issues, and, and I like to give them help. I, I call it a material coordinator. It might be a maintenance coordinator, mm. um, you know, but I think somebody needs to be that go-between between planning and, and supply chain to just to make sure that the materials are there for jobs to get done on, on schedule. Understand how things fail. We all think we know how things fail in maintenance, but all too often we really don't. I've, I've done an awful lot of um, reliability center maintenance training, and, and I, I'm surprised at how many maintainers are, are uh, have misperceptions on how stuff fails and, and what will work in terms of preventing or predicting it. Um, there is a lot of learning there, and I say even if you haven't got the intention of using RCM itself, take a course and learn what it teaches because that it gives you tremendous insight into uh, how things fail and what you can do about them. And, and um, even with just the training, people will go back to work and say, oh, this is what's happening, and, and they, they start changing things. I, I had a general manager at a mine one time 
remark after, after some training had been delivered. We hadn't done any pilot projects at all, but uh, he said the maintainers down in the mine, and this was an underground operation, they started making all kinds of suggestions to avoid problems that we'd been having. And, and uh, he was asking them where they got all these ideas from all of a sudden. They said, well, actually, it was sparked by some of what we learned in the RCM training. Mm. So, so it's even if you're not going to use RCM as a, as a method to define your maintenance program, uh, the training is very, very helpful uh, to the people who are closest to the equipment. It does give them a lot of ideas. So I, I think that would be another thing. And, of course, if you've got critical assets, you want to you mm. use the method itself. So those would be kind of my top tip. KPIs, planners, uh, and reliability would be key focus. Um, if you have the opportunity, get together with your supply chain and stores people and really talk about how to manage that interaction better because that's often a, a weak point. And, and of course, uh, the, the, the stores people will say, oh, you've got to give us more advance notice. Uh, and and, and I, I would agree with them, actually. I, I think our planning tends to be focused on a job, not on forecasting future demand. And, and we do a bad job of forecasting material uh, demand rates, which the supply chain desperately needs in order to have the right quantities of things on hand. And even if you get the demand rate right, they need to know how many of them you need when the time comes to use them, right? It's, it's no good having two on the shelf if you need four. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so there's, there's a lot of little things in that interaction that get in the way. And, and, and that's probably the number one complaint from maintainers that I run into. We can't get our parts when we need them. Mm. That number one problem. How do you see analytics uh, playing a role? If there was good data, I think it could, uh, <laughs> I think it could play a big role. Uh, like I said, when we talked about the uh, IIoT and, and systems, uh, the data in our maintenance management systems tends to be pretty poor. Um, and the supply chain data in that side of the system is also pretty poor. And, and I, I think the, the reason is we haven't emphasized data collection and, and accurate input enough. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, we've got long drop-down lists, you know, 25 items on it. Well, the, once you start scrolling down that list, right, anything that you have to scroll for probably won't get chosen. It'll be those top few. Uh, if you've got a default value in a field, it's way too easy to just skip over it and leave mm -hmm. it. The end result is, oh, and, and maintainers, they're mostly people who are really, really good at working with their hands and they like working with their hands. They like to be on the tools. They do not like to be doing paperwork as a general rule. So, so asking them to do uh, paperwork, asking them to be analytical, it's just not natural for them. And, uh, and, and I think we've expected too much of that. So, so the more we can automate, the, the, the better. Analytics will be useful once you've got good data. But we've got to focus on the data aspects first. And I, I don't see enough focus on that. Um, the analytical capabilities are there. It's just statistical manipulation of a whole bunch of numbers, uh, and uh, uh, it'll produce a result. Mm -hmm. But if the result can't be trusted, uh, then it's of no value. Uh, in order to be trusted, it has to have two things. Y you have to be producing an analytical result which is meaningful for decision making. I'm not convinced that that's always that well thought through. But it also has to have good input data. And that is the Achilles heel. That's been a, a problem since I can remember. Um, so for now, it's good in theory, but not so much in practice. Yeah, yeah. And, and the systems, I mean, it's, it's um, you know, the software industry will be promoting it, of course, because they produce the software that does it. And, and they, they're the ones that stand to, to profit from it. 
but uh, there really needs to be an effective um, uh, addressing of, of data collection and, and storage. Now, the more it can be automated, the better. I think the Internet of Things will help when it comes to conditions, signals, but, but it won't help you much with event data, right? Like, I, the, the machine's down, I had to replace this bearing, this bearing, this seal, that shaft. Um, that's going to come off the work order. Uh, <laughs> and and um, uh, to some extent, it can be automated. You know, the bill of materials is attached to the work order. You pick things. Um, but that information has to make it back into your maintenance management system that this stuff was consumed on that work order. Well, if it's an emergency, you may be tempted to just go to the storeroom, treat it much like Canadian Tire, pull things off the shelf. Um, if it's a real hurry, there'll be this rush out the door, you know, none of that stuff will be uh, recorded. Uh, what work order do we use? Oh, the general work order for the, uh, the truck or whatever piece mm -hmm. of equipment it happens to be. And, and consequently, you get really bad data collection uh, and, and storing. The other thing that goes against it is, is um, that, that uh, in, on the supply chain side, the data in stores is often really flawed. Right? Mm. They, they do inventory counts, and there's always some inaccuracy there. Uh, where you have a very reactive maintenance environment, you tend to see higher inaccuracy in the storeroom, and that's because of the fact that people go in and grab stuff yeah. and take it out. Um, but the other thing that happens is, is maintainers will say, well, we had this problem, we needed that part, we, we didn't have it in store, so we rush ordered it in, and oh, while we're at it, let's just order three times as much. That extra <sighs> quantity of those items doesn't go into the storeroom where it really belongs. It ends up in a cabinet in the workshop uh, or beside the machine that's, that's being maintained just in case you need it the next time. You end up in many cases with these really bloated inventories and a whole lot of it is not on the books as inventory. It's just out in the plant. As far as the accounting people are concerned, it's already consumed. But, but the maintainers start to depend on that rather than the storeroom. Uh, and they depend on the direct purchasing. So it creates a whole lot of purchasing activity. Uh, it bypasses the storeroom. It makes the consumption data really, really inaccurate. Mm. Um, and, and the supply chain really has no chance of catching up on that. That, that's a, uh, uh, it's a self-preservation thing by the maintainers, right? They're just trying to get the machines back on time and, and it works yep. from that perspective. But they're creating a whole uh, number of problems in, in their wake as a result of doing that. Some people call it shadow inventory. I, yep. I call it just-in-case inventory. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I've, I've been in places where there are literally millions of dollars of that kind of stuff out on the shop floor and in, in, in cabinets squirreled away places that really should be in the storeroom. And, and the store, stores people really, they, don't, they, they may know it's there, but they don't know exactly where, they don't know what it is. And, and consequently, they're, they're really hard-pressed to try and manage the situation. And they, they certainly can't deliver a good service with, with bad data. So, so the analytics on what they've got are often really challenging. And, and uh, supply chains and, and storerooms are, are an area that I see almost universally needs to be cleaned up. Well, we've covered a lot. Do you have anything else that you think that we may have missed? Well, uh, we haven't really missed anything. I, I, I think a, a word now, now this might sound a bit self-serving, but get help. <laughs> if you've got some of these problems, um, they're not easily solved on your own. Uh, oftentimes the, the maintenance people have been there for a while, um, they're very dedicated to doing a good job. They've tried to make improvements in the past. They may have had limited success, uh, but never quite as much as they wanted. And, and, and their operations people are still disappointed in what they're getting. 
um, but they're kind of at their wits end. That, that's time to get some help. Uh, they, they've probably been there a long time in a lot of cases, and they may not even know what good looks like. Uh, that, that's a big issue. Uh, I've, I've run into that quite a bit. People don't know what really successful practices are. We've always done it that way. Well, exactly. Right. Uh, I, you have no idea how often I hear that. <laughs> and I said, well, did it ever occur to you that maybe it's been wrong for a long yeah. time? And <laughs> um, There's a better way to do it? Yeah, yeah. If you want different results, you have to do things differently. And if you, and, and uh, was it Einstein, I think, said something like that? Like, like you, can't, you, you can't solve today's problems with yesterday's thinking. You mm. have to have some new thinking. But to, to change your, your, your results, you've got to change what you do. To change what you do, you've got to change your thinking. To change your thinking, you've got to change your education, your exposure to, to other practices. Um, there, there's folks out there who, who do a lot of work helping companies make changes and, and uh, get help. Uh, you know, don't assume that you're going to be have, having all the answers. Um, and, and don't assume that you're going to get a lot of support from your counterparts in other departments. Uh, most organizations tend to be very, very siloed. The walls are thick. There's not a lot of windows in those silos. And uh, everybody's kind of protecting their turf. Um, making improvements takes change. Change takes leadership, not management. Um, I, I think uh, one, one problem with change uh, is, is that the, the, the experts on change call it change management. Well, it's, uh, to me, managing things keeps things much the same. Uh, what you want to do is rock the boat. Oh. And, and um, getting different results is going to require change. That's going to require leadership. Those companies I talked about earlier that have had very senior leadership support uh, have been good at it because the leader is not afraid to rock the boat. In fact, they often come in with a mandate to rock the boat. And, mm. and, and they will have success with it. It'll be rocky, it'll be upsetting for some people sometimes, and, and, uh, and, and I look at that and say, well, that's all okay, because it's actually, if they're not upset, it means that they're not uncomfortable, and if they're not uncomfortable, they're not changing. Simple. <laughs> all right, that's a lot of information to absorb. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Mario. I really appreciate it. <laughs>